0: Hello and welcome to AIM Research in our first podcast. My name is Grant Collins here with co-host Dr. Ron Sanderson. Today we're going to talk about the first quarter in review, and we're also going to give you our outlook for the second quarter and for the rest of this year. Since this is our first podcast, uh, I want to dive in a little bit about our backgrounds.
1: Uh, so Ron, how about you go first? Sure. Uh, I have backgrounds in both uh industry and academia. So I spent some time in banking, financial services, uh, as well as a financial analyst, uh, becoming an economist. Uh, And I specialize in my research in uh, financial time series and price movements.
0: My background, I have been a financial advisor for the last seven years. I started in the industry in 2013 primarily in back office trading. We worked with eight advisors across the country when I first got started, then moved into private practice where I've been trying to build my own client base since then. So really what we have designed this to be is to work with financial advisor and clients to bring them a better process to building portfolios, basically creating portfolios that bring the economy and data science into the construction process. I think you'll see a little bit of that when we get into our quarterly market outlook. Uh, And with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. So um, our slide deck is available as well. We'll put that up in conjunction with this. Uh, But let's start with our quarterly market outlook and our top thoughts. Uh, So Ron, let's start with uh, growth and inflation. Um, What are we seeing so far as an outlook and thought process there?
1: My thoughts uh, remain um, dependent on uh, regulations and um, hamstring of the economy. So it's going to really depend on how much we are allowed to reopen the economy uh, in terms of getting output and production Uh, back up, uh, which leaves us in kind of a a tenuous place right now in terms of, in my opinion, the uh, stimulus packages and the increase in the monetary base, uh, depending on whether we'll be able to get output to match that. So uh, right now, while we are not seeing uh, a whole lot of inflation in certain sectors, uh, certainly we are seeing inflation in uh, definitely some sectors such as lumber uh, and various other uh, commodities uh, due to the supply chain still trying to recover uh, from shutdowns. Um, That being said, it seems like eventually as consumers and producers both refill inventories, um, if we do not get output to meat, we should probably expect some inflation uh, for at least maybe around the fourth quarter, um, if not potentially sooner, more broad-based. Uh, like I say, we are seeing it in certain sectors for sure uh, right now, but I think it's going to really be dependent on those spillover effects and how how much or not that happens. Very difficult to discern that.
0: And, and that's really what, uh, for our, our inflation primer, for those that have seen it and read it, um, when we look at... Broadly with this increase of money supply, you have to go back to uh, Irving Fisher to look at his uh, quantity of money theory. And the equation basically says, look, the percent change in money supply versus the percent change in velocity minus percent change in growth is what gives you inflation. So growth very much acting like a sponge, where right now, if it doesn't have the capability of absorbing all of this extra money supply, Uh, then we will see inflation from that. And that digs into our our, uh, estimates and and what we're seeing for the forecast. So we do see growth continuing to accelerate through the second quarter, potentially even through the third quarter, and that's right in line with also our inflation gap estimate, where we see that continuing to narrow closer and closer to the 2% target that the Fed is trying to hit. All of those things, I think, will come to a head, and we're going to dig in a little bit deeper, more granularly. With the economy still being consumption-driven, we really need to look at the health of the consumer. Uh, So, Ron, let's talk a little bit about the consumer and some of the data points that you're looking at, uh, and then I'll throw in some things that I have been considering. Uh,
1: Yes, certainly. Um, It appears, uh, looking at the the more granular data, that um, durable goods – uh, in the last uh, two quarters of last year caught up uh, a lot. Um, however, we've seen now a decline back in durable goods uh, in this first quarter uh, coming of this year, which probably isn't unsurprising in the sense that as consumers um, rebought um, durable goods that were wearing out, uh, what have you. Um, they then become, as we'd say, an economic satiated or satisfied. Uh, So there's no more point in additional purchase of uh, durable goods. Uh, So that leaves us to kind of the non durable goods sector, uh, which of course is in the news and in the headlines a lot, you know, your services. um, (laughs) We saw a massive
0: increase on the ISM service. Uh,
1: We we certainly did. We certainly did. I don't know if it's going to be big enough to make up for the fall in durable goods because you kind of get this you know we kind of have this backlog of durable goods purchased at the end of last year and now you know i don't know if, if non-durable goods are going to be enough to bring back up the total you know depending on how it it, it offsets and that really uh, comes back to things like uh, consumer confidence and where that's going to sit. And I think right now, unfortunately, that is changing daily. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And that really makes it very difficult. Um,
0: And And I imagine they'll get more and more confident. I mean, with 3 million vaccinations a day, you're closing that immunity gap very, very quickly. Now, something to keep in mind and keep thinking about is most vaccinations uh, it's, it's only been one dose. When, when you look at the two doses, it's a much, much sol- smaller fraction of the population. We've gotten a little bit of a setback with the Johnson & Johnson being repealed because of blood clotting. Uh, so I think that's also going to be a, a really interesting dynamic into giving consumers more confident to go and do some of the things that they were doing b- uh, prior before this pandemic really set in
1: yes uh one thing to note though just uh as i'm looking here again grant at the survey of consumer competence by the university of michigan uh the index last march march of 2020 was at 89.1 march of 2021 it's at 84.9 so it is pretty close to you know five points away from being back to where it was roughly um which again might mean that we might not see much bigger gains in consumer confidence going forward, even with uh, vaccines and, and, and all the rest. Um, well, and it
0: could possibly be that we're getting higher consumer confidence because of the extra rounds of stimulus. Remember going back from 08 and 09, there was only one round of stimulus that, that came through. You're now going on a third round. And even in some of these packages, like for instance, the child tax credit that's now gone through that is going to start in July, and that's going to give uh, consumers with children an additional layer of stimulus that's not going to get provided to the rest of the population. Um, And I think that highlights the consumer confidence as well. I mean, the consumer has gotten really healthy through this pandemic, but they still have some holes that we have to pay attention to. Um, One of the things that's highlighted in our slide deck is the uh, Fed survey data on consumers and what they actually did with their stimulus. Um, there's basically three places they put it. They either spent it, uh, and in June, January, and March, it was about 25 to 30% of the money was put there. Um, saved was another big portion, and that was probably the largest percentage. In June, 36% said they saved it, 37% in January, and 41% in March. And then finally, the last one is they paid off debt. So um, it's not like they, they ran out and, and bought a new car or bought a new boat. Uh, they really tucked it away because they didn't know how long this was going to last. Um, the other side to, to think about, and this is in again in our slide decks, is this is not a pay raise by any means. Um, this is a a handout, for lack of a better word, to bridge the gap in loss of income if you were dislocated from work or forced to work from home or your hours were cut. And so when we look at uh, personal income versus uh, private payroll data, the, the gap is unbelievable. And it's because, um, again, they're not working extra hours and they're not getting a pay raise. So this consumption and this confidence Um, at least in my opinion, could be somewhat false unless there's more support coming.
1: Yes, indeed, probably some potential for that. Um, You know, on the behavioral economic side, we always say it is easier for consumers to usually ratchet up than ratchet down um, expectations. Now, uh, of course, with the shutdowns through last year, a lot of consumers did ratchet down expectations. um, And we may see some reticence to ratchet back up, expectations in terms of of spending. Um, And certainly a lot of folks did rebuild and work to rebuild their personal balance sheets uh, on the household level. Um, What will be interesting, of course, is we have that dynamic of rebuilding personal balance sheets on the household level and uh, our national level balance sheet going in the opposite direction Mm, very Uh, much so So it's going to be kind of a tug of war to see um, which effect is going to be larger than the other Uh, obviously when it comes to servicing debt on the national level uh you know we ratchet that up and that puts pressure as well on uh, federal reserve policy to uh, keep the discount rate at a particular level because that all affects servicing the national debt as well. So you know, it's kind of going to be a uh, interesting uh, interplay here uh, coming up in terms of which one is going to win out. and uh, do consumers continue to rebuild their personal balance sheet uh, with extra support payments or subsidies? Uh, or do they finally say, My household balance sheet is right where I want it, and now I'll go about using it for something else. Right, right. And I think the other side of this, too, is
0: speaking from the government level, there's a lot more policy yet to come. Um, When you look at just the dynamic, unfortunately, politics is now in a situation where you have to sweep the House, Senate, and presidency before policy begins to move. And we have that dynamic uh, with the Democrats owning all three. And so one of the, uh, a couple other things we're seeing, of course, is an infrastructure bill. You're hearing a lot about that. You're hearing a lot of conversation around student loan forgiveness. They're really you know, pounding the table on universal basic income. So um, I do think that the government's going to play a larger and larger role as we try to fumble through and get through the rest of this pandemic and get on the other side of it.
1: Yes, yes. And it'll be, again, that a lot of, uh, you know, substitution effects with a lot of these things. So it may not, in terms of total GDP, affect us a whole lot. Um, It may just substitute. Right. Right. You know, so that's kind of what a lot of people miss. Right. You know, let's say we've got a football team in your city uh, and a new hockey team comes to town. Well, people may set their entertainment budget for going to sporting events at hundred dollars a month just because another team comes into town they might not necessarily double their budget for spending on entertainment they might just say oh well maybe now i'll split it 50 50 or something so you may not see actual increase in growth just because you see monies going into uh, one specific area or arena what you might tend to see is some substitution effects across the board where it just shifts it around Um, and so again that's going to be uh, seeing how behaviorally that comes up, and behaviorally uh, is why it is very difficult to predict macroeconomic phenomenon in in a large scale. Uh, is because uh, if if the behavioral changes are in opposition to the policy agenda, then you don't necessarily get any movement in a particular direction. Absolutely
0: yeah so we've hit on um, kind of our outlook on growth and inflation Uh, we've talked a lot about the consumer you you hit on the producer a little bit there too Um, in my research some of the things that we're seeing of course the largest ism manufacturing print has came out Um, some of the things that were highlighted and again this is in our slide deck um, new orders prices and backlog of orders have all been uh, increasing and growing at a pretty fast rate from where we've closed everything down. Uh, You mentioned commodities broadly, uh, lumber of course being one, but even you look from the farmer's perspective, corn, livestock, and soybeans have skyrocketed as well. This really does start to speak to the supply chains are, are really damaged. And with the consumer having so much quote unquote cash in their pocket, Demand is coming back online much sooner than the supply is. So uh, w- what are your thoughts there? That's just the way that I'm seeing the story.
1: Yes. Um, I think that's going to be the, the real difficult part. And, you know, in a a lot of those industries that use or consumer goods that use a lot of the uh, products that are seeing inflation. So, for example, lumber. Um, you know, home sale, new home sales. Um, not that it's that huge a component of GDP. I think a lot of times it's often overemphasized. Historically, it might be around 5% or, you know, it's, it's not, it's not super large, but it tends to be. I mean, certainly we had a whole housing crash over that smaller component uh, in GDP and it had a big macroeconomic effect, obviously, uh, due to uh, the um, downstream effects of the defaults and everything. But, at what point is the consumer going to say, right, that, you know, it's not worth it for me to build a new, a new house, um, due to the increase in prices? So I would expect we'd eventually see a slowdown uh, there, right?
0: More um, of a leveling off.
1: Yes, yes. I, I believe so because I, you know, and that's again the important thing of what prices actually do in an economy, right? We should remember that fundamentally, prices ration goods, and that's the. You know, from an economist standpoint, that's very important, right? We, we want to utilize our resources as best as possible, and those prices reflect the scarcity of those goods and services at a particular point in time. So increases in some of these prices, like lumber, are reflecting that scarcity right now. Uh, and indeed, uh, we should want sort of that effect of a slowdown in this to help conserve those resources till the inventories Uh, build back up. But I would expect to see that a little bit uh, in that just as you respond as a consumer to increases in grocery prices and things like that, right? Households adjust their budgets, they adjust their decisions. um, And in so doing, as everybody does that, as Adam Smith might say, it's like an invisible hand that guides us uh, so that we can utilize these resources effectively. And so uh, part of what we're seeing too with the the stimulus payments is that up kind of upsets the apple cart in terms of what the true quote unquote true price i hate to kind of use that word to a certain extent but um you know when you create these artificial barriers uh, it it makes real price discovery much more difficult
0: yeah, so absolutely, and you know that's a great segue into Fed policy. Um, I think what you're describing there is the same thing that Janet Yellen said about inflation being transitory, and I feel like we'll hear it over and over again from the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell, right? Is that yes, hey, we're we're seeing it, but of course the policies have been changed now, right? It's no longer targeting two percent; they're going to average it, and I think that's still very broad and you know, not well established on, is it an average for a year? Is it an average for five years, 10 years? How long are you going to average 2% and make up for when we were so much lower? Um, But it seems like they're going to remain extremely accommodative. They've talked about not even considering raising interest rates uh, until they see meaningful inflation. Uh, There's probably some broad terms out there for meaningful inflation as well. I mean, well, I think in our forecasts, anyways we're heating up really quickly and i think that's the broad story here is that both growth and inflation are going to continue to accelerate off of these base effects and as that continues to trickle into the economy will the fed stand back and let it continue to happen or will it force them to act and then that really pulls us into the market's perspective right so you know with growth and inflation continuing to accelerate when you look back over the first quarter It really was a risk asset story, right? High beta energy commodities were all some of your top performers on the equity side. Uh, Fixed income really took it on the chin because as the yield curve steepened, you started to see a lot of the safety trades in treasuries and corporate bonds. Um, Just to speak broadly, long term 20 year plus TLT was down 14 percent for the quarter. Um, Your best performing fixed income asset was business development loans. They were up 18.75%. So it was a risk story in Q1. Um, Everything we're talking about tells me it's still uh, somewhat of a risk trade for Q2. I mean, what are you thinking?
1: I I think you're fairly on point there. Uh, You know, I keep hoping that um, we might get away from uh, the risk a, a little bit impacting decisions, uh, quite so much, but, uh, yeah, I certainly don't think we're, we're there yet. Um, certainly I think in most people's, you know, just casual empiricism, most people's households, they are still weighing risks about changes in the macro economy changes in the labor market quite heavily. and, and so I, I don't see that change for a while, Um, so a wide dispersion between wall street and main street still i think so and and it's really because again behaviorally it really takes repeated confirmations to get over uh to start a new trend right so you know if 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 I keep seeing inflation on something like gas prices or lumber, and then next week, I see more and then the week after I see more, that is just kind of keeping uh, validity to a forecast of uncertainty and, and that type of thing. And it's going to take quite a few periods of unwinding of that before I would be more than likely as a consumer willing to change my behavior on that. You know, I'm going to want to see down, 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 down for a while before I go, okay, you know, the coast is clear. Right. Right.
0: Very much so. And then, I mean, when we look at the forecast, potentially that does look as, like a setup for maybe in the back half of the year. Um, as you and I have talked previously, it, it definitely seems like without further support, the economy really is standing by itself. And so that's where these infrastructure may may change that picture. Another round of stimulus or the child tax credit, all of those things could change the dynamic and not only change it for the consumer and giving them more confidence, but also from the market's perspective and giving the market even more confidence to keep running. So
1: yes, potentially, Um, you know, one of the big problems is, and and, uh, not every economist, uh, subscribes to this, but um, we have what we call Cantillon effects uh, sometimes. And so it 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 matters maybe how long it takes, uh, that was Cantillon's point, how long it takes money to, as it first gets dispersed, let's say in a subsidy or some type of program to funnel through and, you know, so how long it takes to get from starting at a bank and moving through the economy. Um, And right now. A lot of it is getting uh, held up as maybe not the best words, but um, held up in the financial markets, so to speak, and not coming downstream Mm -hmm. uh, as much. And so this can cause kind of a delayed effect on seeing inflation on certain things um, where you might see it in other places. So you might see it in the financial markets, but you might not yet see it in a lot of uh, broad-based consumption items at first, you know. Um, so, and that timing, and again, it's uh, there's a lot of disagreement amongst economists about how much on effects <laughs> happen. Um, so uh, just kind of an important note, not sure how big an effect it will be, but certainly it can be a concern um, that, you know, that inflation will creep up over time, due to all the extra stimulus, where um, a lot of times from a policy perspective, you, you keep doing it, doing it, doing it, uh, but you haven't waited long enough to see the downstream effects materialize. So that can kind of cause maybe an over reaction uh, from a policy uh, perspective um, without waiting long enough for the economy to, um, absorb that initial, initial policy, right? So huge lags. Um, and I think that's kind of where the concern, uh, may come in is as we do more, we haven't yet waited fully for, uh, the full effects of the first stimulus package to really, uh, take effect. Um, indeed we still saw, uh, unspent money in the PPP fund, uh, still from the first round, right. You know, so, um, that just kind of goes to show you how long a lot of times it takes a policy. And so there's always this issue of um, uh, the Lucas critique, as we'd say in macroeconomics, the kind of the time between a policy decision and when it actually is gonna show itself up in the data in the macroeconomy.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that that's essentially where maybe the market has continued to discouple from the real economy, right? Uh, The real economy feels very much in stagnation until this demand starts to pick up and this money starts to get spent. Uh, Right now, if they're just using it to pay off debt, it's not really creating that economic growth that the policymakers were hoping for. And so essentially, if it is, in fact, going into risk assets, That's that's kind of the trend that may persist. And we've seen it in the VIX, for instance. It's been down since the March event of last year. I mean, we had that big, massive spike and Mm -hmm. it's still making lower highs. And so um, call it complacency, call it optimism, whatever it is. uh, Consumers and investors are looking to the reopening process and looking to the vaccination process. And finding a lot of uh, a lot of hope, for lack of a better word.
1: Yes, I would I would agree there. I think everybody's ready to have hope, uh, and uh, we'll just see how how that feeds itself out, especially in the markets. Um, I think you know one thing to note, as we've seen with a lot of uh, companies, of course, a real uh, with the stimulus a lot of rising P/E ratios and things um, for a lot of individual corporations. Um, but not so sure how that is gonna be true in a fundamentals type sense. Um, So, you know, it was a long time ago, 20 years ago, when I looked at a lot of PE ratios, if you had a PE ratio of 12, that was like through the moon and really high. And, you know, now we're seeing PE ratios of 160, 200, you know, just uh, unheard of multiples. Um, So, uh, like a rubber band, eventually something is going to have to give and snap back, and I'm just not sure which side is going to be doing that. Where it's
0: going to come from. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so we're coming up on, on 30 minutes. Uh, to book in this, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we're what we're thinking about and what's something that's piquing our interest and what we're trying to uh, stay close to in the research process. I'm looking at loan data. Uh, And loan data I think is really important. It actually adds an extra layer to growth and money creation in the economy. If it's banks are making more loans, we've got more credit creation and more money creation going out there. Uh, We've seen that slow down broadly after the PPP loans in March and April. Uh, It's something that we're going to continue to do further research in, uh, but it's something that if the banks aren't willing to lend at these low rates, they're obviously doing other things with it. And I think the market we've already touched on. Maybe that's an area that they're they're moving into more and more often. Uh, but w- what else are you looking at as we?
1: Yeah, I think uh, similar story to you. It's the uh, total deposits at at uh, banking institutions or lending institutions. Um, we've seen a lot of it, as you mentioned, with the Fed uh, survey data on where consumers are putting it. Uh, we've seen a lot of it go into deposits. Um, so now the question is going to be, uh, well, it sits there you know um it may not do a whole lot it may generate some money multipliers in terms of of loan generation Um, but on the other side is um, what might happen if those deposits start to exit and you know that's where you could see maybe some really uh, kind of back to those Cantillon effects really see some inflating of more uh, broad-based prices if spending really starts to accelerate if all those deposits start to leave institutions rapidly. Uh, And I think that's kind of where I'm trying to watch it is what's really gonna happen to those those deposits. Are consumers just gonna say, hey, I wanna just now keep this uh, household balance sheet much in better shape, I'm just gonna leave it. Or once I gain some more confidence or once households gain more confidence, do they then start to to spend that money. to spend it
0: yeah absolutely so as we close uh thank you all for listening to our first quarter update you can find us at myaimresearch.com